fought against the coronavirus in 2020, another deadly and silent pandemic emerged that affected millions of people around the world. Mental illness. While many of us have adapted to the new normal, that includes social distancing, and at times, social isolation, new guidelines and updated measures have intensified those struggling with mental health. The rapidly changing pandemic conditions have led to 89% of college students experiencing stress or anxiety, and 60% of students said they've experienced depression since the pandemic started. So what is the responsibility of the church in this silent pandemic of mental health that sits each week in our congregations across the world? How do we answer the tough questions that many Christians have about mental health? In the teaching series, A Journey from Darkness into God's Light, The Reality of Mental Health, Pastor Bank addresses the very tough questions and lets us know that you are not alone, it's not your fault, God is with you, and God's word speaks through you. If you or anyone are suffering with mental illness, contact walkfanusa.org because it's time to expose this silent pandemic. Everybody, hallelujah, we want to welcome you to this service this morning coming to you from Lawrenceville, Georgia, World Outreach Church for All Nations. And to all, to all of you that's joining us online, we are glad you're joining us. We thank God for you and we pray that God will say something today that will help to establish you in the faith in the name of Jesus. And truly, 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 church is open for in-person uh, services. And we want to encourage you to just get out of this pajamas type thing and come and join us so we can have a wonderful time of fellowship together. You can come in wearing your mask, whatever makes you feel comfortable. We are not going to give, we are not going to give you the plague. Rather, we are going to deliver you from the plague. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. And so all of you guys are welcome this morning. Tony and, and Tina, it's good to see you guys after a long, long time. Praise God. Hallelujah. And also, my own personal coach, Cochito, is in the house. <laughs> Praise God, coach. It's good to see you, my friend. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, if I miss any names, it's not because I don't want to call your names, but with this mask, it's hard to recognize who is who. So please pardon me, forgive me if I miss anybody, if I miss anybody, if I miss anybody. Now, if I see you and recognize you while I'm speaking, I will acknowledge you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so this morning, I want to continue what I began several weeks ago, <clears throat> speaking on a journey out of darkness. Oh, my friend Charles Iroha. My God, how can you forget that? Oh, Lee, it's good to see you, man. That is the... Pastor Larry, this is not the world traveler, this is the global traveler. <laughs> he understands what I just said to him, praise God. It's good to see you, man. Welcome. We thank God for God keeping you throughout all your journeys and all of your goings and comings. Amen. We can't take those things for granted any longer. We thank God for his faithfulness and his loving kindness to all of us, in Jesus' name. As I was saying before my friends uh, uh, crossed my mind, amen. <laughs> We've been speaking on joining out of darkness into God's 
light for several weeks now, and I want to continue that message this morning. And this morning's uh, installment will address depression is an illness, not a weakness. Depression is an illness, not a weakness. Now, I must tell you, I have grown a lot as I prepared these messages. My thinking, my understanding, and even my capacity for empathy has significantly been challenged. And uh, it's not been easy at all doing this message Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Uh, and in fact, I told Sister Revelation, I'm not going to give him any more uh, statistics per se, uh, because uh, it's just too many of them. And if care is not taken, it can almost leave you depressed. Nevertheless, we need to address the big elephant in the room. This is something that's prevalent in our day, in our time, and we can no longer continue to ignore it. We, to do so would be to do so at our own peril. Amen? So last week, as I was contemplating what I'm about to speak this morning, uh, I caught the news where, this, uh, where the third police officer who responded to the January 6th riot died by suicide. And an officer, Michael Fanon, made a statement regarding that officer's death. And as they read the statement, three things caught my attention immediately. And I'm going to use those three things in speaking to us this morning about the fact that depression is an illness, not a weakness. You see, when someone you, are, you care about is feeling hopeless, sad, apathetic or restless, it can be hard to acknowledge that they might be battling a clinical illness. Acceptance, however, is the first step in understanding depression and knowing how to help. Acceptance. Now, when you and I get the flu, it affects our daily life. It makes us feel miserable. It slows us down. But it doesn't change who you are. You don't say because you have a flu, you stop being a man or a woman, or you stop being the child of God or anything else. So we understand that the conditions may slow us down, make us feel crappy, make us feel bad. But we also understand it's a condition and that it's simple remedy of rest and healthy options and time it will get better. So, likewise, in the situation we are addressing with mental health disorders and challenges, we have to accept the condition of the situation, but not be defined by it. That is a very important statement to make. Let me say that one more time. I must come to grip with the reality that, okay, I'm not feeling too good right now. I'm feeling crappy. I'm in a dumps. However, I must make a demarcation between understanding my condition and being labeled and defined by it. Because you know what? Even those conditions have expiration date. It will end after a while. Amen? Hallelujah. So, so many people with these challenges are hesitant to discuss the condition because of the stigma surrounding the illness. 
I said this last week, and that is the fact that 43% of Americans erroneously, I must emphasize that word, erroneously, think depression or any other form of mental challenge is a result of weakness or deficit in one's character. That is absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. And if 43% of Americans feel that way, I can only imagine what the, what the percentage is of those across the pond. Those immigrants across the pond, you, you know who I'm talking about? Not, not you guys here, not you guys. Not, not you guys watching me. None of you guys here. But those guys, they have to fly 10 hours and 12 hours across the pond. I only just wonder what they think about this condition. Now, because we're a society that values strong men and women, any weakness is perceived as a negative, which in itself is wrong, as we're about to see from scriptures in a moment. Please give me 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, in the Passion Translation. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, in the Passion Translation. This notion, this idea that to have a mental challenge or, or sickness and illness to be considered as a weakness is totally, completely erroneous. And we can see this because many of our great Bible characters struggled with one form of mental disorder or the other. As we see here, Paul's account, look at what it says. Brothers and sisters, you need to know. In other words, I'm not hiding this. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm coming out of the closet. I want you to be, to be aware of the kind of challenges that are faced. Brothers and sisters, you need to know about the severe trials we experienced where we were in Western Turkey. All of the hardships we passed through crushed us beyond our ability to endure. And we were so completely overwhelmed that we were about to give up entirely. Now, can you imagine that? If I did not tell you who's saying this, if I just told you that, that Paul had a hard time, you, you, have it, you find it hard to believe. Was Paul a weak man? No. No. Verse 9. It felt like we had a death sentence written upon our hearts. What does this tell me? He said he felt like he had a death sentence written upon his heart, not upon his body. In other words, what he was feeling was not physical. This is what we are saying. We are coming out of darkness into God's light. This is a journey out of the bottomless pit to come out. Because Paul is telling us here what he felt, what he went through was not just a physical affliction, but something that was attacking his heart. And we still feel like it to this day. Ah, thank God for Paul's honesty. Because like I told you guys at the beginning of this series, don't take the scripture off please. I don't think I'm done with it. Yeah. As I told you guys at the beginning of this series, as the more I studied, the more I found myself in the book. <laughs> Have there been sad days? Yes. Have there been sorrowful days? Yes. Have there been days of mood? Yes. Have there been days of being irritable? Absolutely, completely. Yes, 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 yes. Check, 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 check. 
But the issue is we've never addressed it, so we don't have the tools and equipment to know what to do when these things do happen. And so we are suffering silently. Paul says he still feels it to this day. As a return was writing. However, he also said something. It has taught us, glory to God, to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all of our trust in the God who raises the dead. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how far down you have gone. Paul is giving us an assurance that God has the solution, he has the answer, and he has the ability to deliver us from every affliction in the name of Jesus, be it physical, emotional, or mental. Amen? Give me one more scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. So you see clearly that this issue of mental disorder or mental illness is not just because a person is weak. Paul was not weak. Thank you, Jesus. Even after we came into the province of Macedonia, we found no relief. We were restless and exhausted. Anybody who's been through any kind of depression, anxiety, or, or bipolar will, let you, will tell you this. The issue of fatigue. Sometimes you just want to sleep endlessly. Like you just, I mean, you just want to sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep and then sleep some more again from fatigue. So Paul is saying, we found no relief. We were restless and exhausted. Troubles met us at every turn. Outwardly, I face conflicts and inwardly, emotional turmoil. This is not Banka Kimbala speaking. This is your great apostle of grace, the man himself, who wrote two-thirds of the entire New Testament. It's letting you know the reality of some of the things we are dealing with. But thank God, we are not doomed to be hopeless because we know that God has the answer and the solution. We're just getting the tools to know how to help, to get the help we need. Amen? Amen. So mental illness is not as a result of, a result of weakness. Well, somebody will say, well, Paul, Paul, well, we don't know about Paul. Okay, maybe in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let the word be established. Good, I heard you. So I'm going to give one more witness. <laughs> give me Matthew chapter 26. In the Amplified Classic, please. Matthew chapter 26, beginning from verse 36. In the Amplified Classic. Hallelujah. Here we go. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. This is Jesus, the Son of God now. And he told his disciples, sit down here while I go over yonder and pray. Verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to show what? Grief. And what? Distress of mind. Please, underline that. This is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is distressed? Yes, sir. He was grieved? Yes. And was deeply depressed. Woo! To all the religious scholars. How do you address this? 
We can't take this out of the Bible because Jesus is saying it. Notice what the Bible says. He didn't say he was depressed. He said he was deeply depressed. Next verse. Then he said to them, my soul, look, man, folks, I hope God will help us, you and I, to really completely, totally become transparent and become full disclosures. He didn't hide it. He told his disciples, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved. Jesus could have, he could have hidden it. He didn't have to say anything, but he made it, he put it on the public domain. For those guys who were there with him, and for you and I, and for those who will come behind us to understand this phenomenon. My soul is very sad and deeply grieved. Am I called to any man, any woman, any child that is going through any kind of mental challenge? Don't hide it. Don't try to deal with it alone. You are made and built to survive and to thrive in community. That's what Jesus was doing. He was speaking to his community. My soul is very sad. I'm deeply grieved so that I'm almost dying of sorrow. He spoke out. This is the son of God. Was he weak? No. No. And then he says, stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. I cannot say this enough. And if there's anyone listening this morning, you're going through challenges, you're having thoughts, things are happening with you, you need help, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's not your fault. God is with you. And he has a promise of deliverance for you. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Yeah. And then more importantly, I want you to take one more step. Go to the website and avail yourself to all the help we have there. I don't want you to suffer alone. Yeah. Three reasons why we stigmatize Depression or mental health. Number one, depression usually has non-physical symptoms. If I was to break my arm and they put me in a, uh, what do you call it, plaster of, in the cast, they put me in the cast. I come to the sanctuary, you see my cast. You know immediately, oh, pastor has a broken arm. It's obvious. But in the case of mental health challenge, it's not that obvious because there is no physical symptom that we can read off and see immediately. So that's number one. Let, 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 let me qualify that a little bit more. So if somebody said, well, you know, uh, I, I didn't go to work yesterday because I, I'm feeling depressed, and you are looking at them, they are eating, they are talking, they're able to watch TV, they're able to perform some activities, you're going to say, what's wrong with this guy? Why make that excuse? What kind of a lie is that? I'm looking at you, you have two hands, two legs, your eyes you can see, you can, and you're saying you can't go to work because you're not feeling good. What's not feeling good about you? You're looking so nice to me. Yeah. Do you understand that? So for that reason, people will hide. Because they cannot explain to the person you're talking to why they are not feeling good. There's, none, there's, there's no physical symptom to address. Therefore, they choose not to address it because, because they, are, they are afraid they will be labeled. It's just your mind. It's just, uh, you're just weak. Uh, you're just, 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 just get on with it. 
So that's number one, stigma. What, what, number one reason for the stigma. Number two, lack of awareness about depression. That's the second reason why we stigmatize depression. Number one, there is no, there's no uh, physical symptoms. Number two, there's a lack of awareness about, the, about depression. To be honest with you, until I started studying and preparing for this message, I had zero knowledge about this whole concept. We had a meeting uh, that just ended on Friday with the uh, Gathering of Sons on Thursday and Friday here in Atlanta. And I recalled a story. This is true. In 2018, I was in a meeting in West Africa. And a pastor came to me and said to me that his wife was in depression and she had not been to church for two years and that, uh, that's why she did not come with him to the meeting that I was in. Now, when this guy was saying this to me, I was listening to him. I heard everything he said. But there was no empathy from me to him. Because I'm saying to myself, really? Your wife has not been in church for two years? I couldn't connect the dot. I couldn't. I heard him. In fact, I prayed for him. But I could not connect the dot, and therefore, I could not really fully empathize with what he was sharing with me. Why? Because of lack of awareness. I had no awareness. You know what happened? I think maybe a week or two ago, since I started doing this series, I called him. I did. I wanted to apologize for my lack of empathy for not understanding what he was going through when he was talking to me. I deeply, deeply regret that. But the issue is you cannot give what you don't have. I didn't know. I didn't know. Number three. Number three reason why we stigmatize, stigma, wow, you see that? Stigmatize depression. I'm almost having a meltdown here while I'm speaking to you guys. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, number three reason, negative media depictions about mental illness. We often get our information about mental illness from mass media, including movies, television, and news stories. Many of you will agree with me that most of the movies you've seen, particularly the movies from Nollywood, if it ever shows anyone that has any mental challenge, it's always almost in a negative connotation. So when you see that kind of thing, when that kind of thing fits you in, they are, they are, they are, they are, they are, after a while you say, well, you know what? This is the way it is. And that's why till this day, it's still very, very difficult in most of the African nations to come out and say, you know what, I'm having issues. Because they're gonna put you where you don't belong. Three ways then to fight this stigma. Number one, educate ourselves. That's what we're doing now. Number two, be compassionate. This illness demands, requires, compassion on the part of those of us in the community to help whoever is being challenged to navigate through that season. And number three, to share awareness and advocate. 
share what you know, and be an advocate so that others will start thinking differently about this whole situation. Amen? Yeah. Now, I said last week that I was going to address this issue of suicide. I didn't forget. When depression is not addressed through spiritual and medical intervention, suicide is a very real possibility. We have seen through the spate of celebrity suicide deaths that depression is no respecter of fame, fortune, or status. No, absolutely not. It does not respect any of that. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter what your status is. It's an equal opportunity attacker. What parents do you imagine will want to leave their child and die? When I say child, I'm talking about vulnerable kids. And yet we read about that every day. In the depths of illness and what's known as the suicide trance, those who have attempted suicide quite likely thought their loved ones will be better off without them. Now, I'm going to give you a quote in a minute. If you guys can just put it up for me on suicide trance. Thank you. According to Richard A. Heckler, in his book, Waking Up Alive, he describes a suicide trance as the trance being a state of mind and body that receives only the kind of input that reinforces the pain and corroborates the, corroborates the person's conviction that the only way out is through death. The trance marks the moment at which the world becomes devoid of all possibilities except one, suicide. Unbelievable. The long, painful, painful journey towards suicide begins with trauma. When this trauma, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, is unresolved, it makes a person vulnerable to suicidal ideas, especially when he or she is under a lot of stress. This is a lot easier for us to understand when we think of our war veterans who have survived traumatic battles. Uh, I don't have the numbers now, but I just saw a figure yesterday, no, on Friday, of the spike in the U.S. servicemen, service personnel, suicide just gone through the roof in the last couple of years. Now, it is, let, it, it is less easy to understand when we think of a teenager who's been cared for and protected by the parents all their lives. But it happens on both sides, whether it's on the sides of the young people who have been protected and loved and cared for, or on the part of the servicemen and women who've experienced tremendous trauma. 
And this happens because this depression is simply an illness that lies to its victims. It tells you there's no way out. It tells you you will never come out of that bottomless pit. It tells you darkness is your portion. It tells you hopelessness is a place, is, 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 is normal. It tells you helplessness is fine. On and on and on and on and on. So those in the suicide trance feel worthless and utterly hopeless. That's what happens. To be in a trance, to be, to be in a situation, a condition where you think the only solution is the idea of taking one's life. Survivors of suicide explain a level of pain the rest of us cannot begin to even understand. Pain that has been compared to feeling like having surgery without anesthesia. A suicide survivor once said, and I quote, it was like my brain was on fire. All I wanted to do was stop the pain. I wasn't thinking about how it will devastate my family. At the time, I thought I was a burden on them and that they would be better off without me. Ah, let me go to some scriptures and then I'm going to give you two or three things that we need to change as far as our paradigm thinking with regards to suicide. Give him Numbers 11, verses 10 through 15 in the Amplified Classic. Numbers 11, verses 10 through 15. Praise God. In the Amplified Classic. All right. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And in the eyes of Moses, it was evil. Go on. And Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you laid the burden of all these people on me. Have I conceived all these people? Have I brought them forth that you should now say to me, carry them in your, in your bosom as a nursing father carries the second child to the land which you swore to their fathers to give them? Where shall I get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. And if this is the way you deal with me, kill me, I pray you, at once. Do you see what stress will do to a human being? Stress is prompting Moses to pray for death. You and I, we are praying, God, deliver us. Heal me, bless me, promote me. That's your prayers, hopefully. But Moses was not praying that kind of prayer you pray. His prayer was, this burden is so much. The stress is killing me. Don't defer my death next week, next month, next year. I don't want to die in 2099. Let me die now. Can you imagine that? Kill me, I pray, at once. 
and be granting me a favor and let me not see my wretchedness. What I want you to take away from this passage, the last phrase in brackets, in the failure of all my efforts. Moses saw himself as a failure. That's the reason he wanted to die. Very much like the people who attempt death by suicide. They see themselves as a failure. I cannot be a blessing to my family. I cannot be a blessing to anybody. I'm useless. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. Therefore, what need is there for me to continue to live? Let me get out of here so they can get about their lives. That's what Moses is saying. Give me one more. Well, not one more. Give me a couple more. Give me First Samuel chapter 31, verse 4. First Samuel chapter 31, verse 4 in the NLT. New Living Translation. Thank you. Saul groaned to his armor bearer. Take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt me and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. Really, you're going to kill a king? Are you kidding me? The guy said, I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Why did, Saul kill him? Why did Saul kill himself? Same reason as Moses. He just said it. I don't want these pagans. Saul has been up and down and up and down and up and down, but he had enough presence of mind at this hour to know that he, Saul, had a covenant with God and the Philistines did not. And he said, on the basis of my covenant, I will not allow anybody to taunt God, to bring reproach to God, to, to shame God. Therefore, I'd rather just die. How about Elijah? 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Again, another prayer to die. I've had enough, God, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Again, what's Elijah's problem? If he is not any better than those before him. He does not feel worthy because of the circumstances leading up to this situation. And I don't have all the time to go into all of that because it's not really relevant to what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. Last one. Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5. Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5. This is the inglorious Judas Iscariot. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I, I, I don't, I've, I, I, I went to baby naming ceremony on Friday. I've been to so many naming ceremonies all over this country in my lifetime. I've never seen anybody name their son or daughter Judas. Is there any Judas in the house? When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, 
He was filled with remorse so that he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. <laughs> That's verse, verse 5. Verse 5. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hung himself. Why did he hang himself? Why? Why did Jesus do it? Judas do it? I think the, the, I think the verse 3 almost gave, gave us a clue. He said, I've betrayed an innocent man. And that the innocent man that he betrayed is condemned to die. In other words, in Judas' thinking, he has seen Jesus raise the dead, open blind eyes, turn water to wine. He has escaped death at other times when it was not his time. So Judas just wanted the money. He said, listen, I'm covetous. I'll take, make money anyway you can give it to me. Because I know that this dude I'm about to betray, he will escape again. Give me the money because you can't catch him. He will escape. So they gave him the money. And the man did not escape. So the guilt of thinking the sinless son of God would die on his watch was too much to bear. Now, what can we glean from these four passages that will affect and change the way we see suicide. Are you ready for this? Number one, we should refrain from using the terminology that people commit suicide. They did not commit suicide, they died by suicide. Let me just let the bird fly over your heads and, and, and let us settle. So what's the difference? The difference is between day and night. I just told you that those who have attempted or been through this situation were in a suicide trance. So if they were in a trance, could they make a commitment? How many of you married people here married your spouse while you are in a trance? <laughs> you went to the altar. You, you, you exchanged your vows. All this while you are in a trance. You are in a trance. Yeah, it looks like her. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and then you put on the ring. I do, yes. And then you get home. You go, oh, I'm no longer in a trance. Did I really do this? So if they were in a trance when they did so, how can we not say they committed? And since I understood that, everything as I've read, professionally, blogs, books, were consistent in describing how they died, that they died by suicide. Never once was it mentioned that they committed suicide. No, they didn't commit suicide. They died by suicide. Commit means an intentional, deliberate, where all your faculties are functioning and working, and then you make a decision that's intelligent. That's not what happened. 
They were deceived. They were in a trance. And it, the change needs to begin with us. So all week long, all for the last few days, I keep on reminding myself, you know, people die by suicide. They don't commit suicide. They die by suicide. Because if you don't get that in your vocabulary, there will be no paradigm change. That's number one. Number two, for those of us who has relatives, loved ones, family, friends who may have died by suicide, let me give you a comforting solace this morning, and that is no believer who has ever died by suicide goes to hell. I can hear the again. I can hear the religious birds. It's flying all around me because many of us already confined them to hell. We say they have done it. No, 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 no. That's not true. That's not so. Even if I believe before they died by suicide, they may be sitting next to your mansion when you get to heaven. They didn't go to hell. Absolutely not. Again, again, again. This thing happened while they were in a trance. Yeah. No, God is not like that. Absolutely not. They didn't go to hell. They are in the bosom of the Lord Jesus. You can take that to the bank. Number three paradigm. Now this one will shake you a little bit. But I'm sure that you can, you can reason your way through it. <laughs> Number three paradigm shift that needs to happen is that suicide is not selfish. <laughs> now, let me, let, me, let me qualify that very quickly. Don't hear what I just said and go out and try to die by suicide. Please, I did not intend it like that. That's not what I'm saying. This is not an endorsement now for you to say, you know what, I want to die by suicide. No, 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 no. What I am saying is, for the most part, when we heard that people die by suicide, and we see the devastation that it causes the family they've left behind, we wonder, man, how selfish can this be? Why would you take your own life and leave your husband, your wife, your children in this kind of devastation, this trauma? How are they ever going to move forward? How would they get their closure? On and on and on. Why? Because we're on this side of that decision, and we're looking at those who are left behind, and we're wondering how will they make it? How will they go forward? Totally forgetting the other side of the coin, the trance that this individual was in, the deception that led to this, and the thinking, the faulty thinking that made them think being out of here is a better solution than being here. No, it is not selfish. It is actually selfless. These are tough things, but that's my job. I'm not here to be popular or to, to, you know, but I'm just here to deliver the word as God gives it to me. And that's what I'm doing. Suicide is not selfish, it is selfless. And again, I say it again, this is not an endorsement for anyone to take their own life. No, 
No, it is not an endorsement. We should refrain from using the word committed suicide. Rather, we should say they died by suicide. And lastly, number three, those who are believers who have done or who have died by suicide, they are not lost. They're not in hell. Good. I'm about to close now, but let me close quickly on addressing how we remedy anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar, or any other mental disorder. I've given a lot of points in the past. We pray, we worship, we embrace and focus on the love of God. We trust in God's word. But one aspect that I've not given enough time to is what I want to address right now, and that is, is it okay for Christians to take antidepressants or any other medication? You pray, you worship, you, you embrace the love of God, you embrace the word of God, but then you also seek medical intervention. For serious ongoing mental and emotional pain, antidepressants and similar psychotropic medications can be a great resource that God can use within our faith experience along with therapy. Along with therapy. There's always been this tension between trusting God and doing your part but we need to know how to navigate this tension. What do I mean by this tension? The tension of, okay, I'm trusting God, I'm trusting God, versus, versus me doing certain things while I'm trusting God to manifest God's goodness and God's plan for me. There's always a tension. There are those of the school that say, just stand and trust God. Don't do anything else. Pray, believe, pray, believe, pray, believe. And there's the other extreme that says, Forget God. Go to CVS, get all the drugs you can get, and just swallow all the drugs. No, it doesn't have to be like that. There's a middle road approach, okay? Give me Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9, and give this to me in the NKJV, please. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. Let me begin to help us understand the tension, how, how we navigate the tension between trusting God and doing our part. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. Thank you. Nehemiah is building the walls of Jerusalem. He's come under attack, and he has prayed about it. Look at what the scripture says. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. So he prayed. Is that all he did? No. Comma. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Do you see that? He prayed, but he was also not ignorant of the wiles of the devil and the enemy. After having prayed, he put guards to watch the gates of the city day and night. So both prayer and the people were working together. You just don't pray and just do nothing unless God tells you to do that. But he prayed and then he took action. So if I'm sick, 
whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental. I pray, I seek God, I worship, I read my scriptures as, as much as I'm able to do. But at the same time, I go seek medical intervention, including therapy, because those things don't stop God working. Nehemiah just didn't say, I prayed, I let the angels watch the gate. No. He prayed, and then he delegated people. You guys watch. He did, he did both. Second scripture, Exodus chapter 14, beginning from verse 13. Exodus chapter 14, beginning from verse 13. Hallelujah. Wow. Thank you. This is Israel. They came out of Egypt. They go into the promised land. They are now by the right, Red Sea. Cheras of Pharaoh is right behind them. So the sea in the front, Pharaoh behind. What are they going to do? And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall not see again no more forever. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now, if me and you heard that, if you heard what Moses just said, how would you respond? You will not need to fight. God, hold your peace. God is going to, if you heard that right now, what would you do? Would you just sit down and fold your hands? Because look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me like a baby? Why? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. They've prayed. The word has come. You will not need to fight. God will fight for you. He will give you victory. These are your enemies. You will not see them again. For the charismatic believer, the average charismatic, in fact, let me recall it further, the average grace charismatic believer will accept that as meaning no more responsibility. Nothing for me to do. Ah, let me go and get a, a virgin pina colada and start sipping it because there's nothing for me to do again. God burst on the scene and said, why are you crying? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. In other words, if you don't move forward, you will not see the manifestation. So we see trusting God and doing our part, working together to bring the manifestation. So this philosophy that we've received in the world that says, let go and let God, <laughs> it will put you in your great valley. You didn't hear what I said? Ah, you better, hey, child, of, hey, child, you better let go and let God. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because that's not, that's not the way God is thinking. I can go on and on. One last one. And I'm saying this because there are some of us who say these two examples are Old Testament. Did they ever happen in the New? Yes. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Now, this one is a little controversy. First Timothy 5, verse 23. Timothy, 
who is the son to Paul, ministry son, I mean, was having frequent stomach infirmities. I don't know what kind of infirmity it was, but he has problems with the stomach. Now, mind you, Paul said to us in another passage that he prays for him day and night. Mind you, Paul was the same man that the Bible says they took handkerchiefs from him and laid it on the sick and they were healed. Paul, Paul was a man who was preaching in a meeting where a guy was sleeping, fell over the fence and died. And Paul raised the guy from the dead. This same Paul, this is what the testimony. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, the caveat. Many of you guys are already one by bus. <laughs> So now you have an excuse. You say, well, you know what? I don't really drink wine, Pastor, but you know I have stomach trouble. So, <laughs> so God help you. I'm not going to touch that at all. You know? But the point I'm making is this. Paul recognized enough. He recognized the place of faith, and he also recognized the place of common sense remedy. Rather than praying for you every day, for your stomach problem, every day because of the condition in the area that they were in, take a little wine. Why did Paul do that? Because Paul wants Timothy to know that taking the wine or using medication does not negate or remove or diminish him as a man of faith. So by using medication, you are no less what God has already made you. Don't allow that label to define you. You are bigger than that. And the God in you is bigger than that. Because the truth of the matter is, medication apart from God's sanction will never work. And besides, who created medication? God is the chief scientist. He's the one that gave doctors the wisdom for what they do. So we should not continue to fight what God has provided. Hallelujah. If you just rise to your feet, let's just worship God. If there's anyone here today, maybe you're struggling in one way or the other. I don't want you to just come to church and receive the word and go home and your condition never changes. Or perhaps you have a friend, a family member, someone in your oikos, in your circle of influence that is struggling, that you want to stand for. I want to encourage you as the praise and worship people, as the, as the minister to us, take that liberty. I just share with you how Paul came out and said, listen, I struggled. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be aware. How Jesus told his people, listen, this happened to me. So take that liberty right now as they begin to minister. If you know anyone or if you are in that situation and you want remedy, I don't want us to leave service without praying for you in Jesus' name. And remember, the fact that we pray does not mean you can still not use your medication. I need to make sure I make, I make that clear, very, very clear. So, guys.